introductory experience. It's a starting point. Because once you're saved, there's a whole life ahead of you that the Lord wants to begin to lead you in and guide you in. And while some of you may have been saved 25 years, you don't have a lot of experience with Christ because you have been living the first year of your salvation over and over again because you never passed the first test. Others of you have come to some conclusions that as the Lord leads you, you've discovered it's easier to yield to Him at the very beginning and let Him grow you than it is to have to take the same test again and again. I'm going to ask that you would turn in your Bibles today to Genesis chapter 22. Because I believe that as we learn to go all in, it will begin to remove you from a place of being frustrated in your faith. It will remove you from the point of of, uh, trying to relearn the same lessons again and again and let the Lord begin to grow some things within your heart. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 19. And I want to read this passage to you because it's an interesting one. Sometime later... God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. And he said to one of his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and then we will return back to you. Abraham took the wood for his burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar. And there he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear the God, because you have not withheld from me your only son, Abraham looked up, and there caught in a thicket was a ram caught by its horns. And he went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place of the Lord, called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities uh, of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed. Father, I pray 
that you will take this word and apply it in our lives in ways that is appropriate for each of us so that we likewise will know what it means to go all in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will admit to you, and for those of you who have been in the church for any length of time, you are familiar with this story. But I will admit to you that if you are new at reading the Bible, that this particular passage of Scripture can cause you a great deal of tension. How could a loving God even suggest what He is commanding Abraham to do here? How can a merciful God, and this is the thought that we have of God, how can a merciful God ever tell somebody to kill their own child? I have found, however, that in the stories that contain tension with what seems right to us within the Bible, that oftentimes they have the greatest revelations of what God is trying to impart to us or revelations that He's trying to give to us. So I think it's important with us to begin to wrestle with the tension of this story this morning because God has a great deal that He wants to reveal to us. The first point that I would like you to be aware of today is this is a test. This is only a test. Now, for those of you that are my age and older, you will remember back uh, between 1963 and 1997, there were moments when this would show up on your TV. This is a test. This is only a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will be conducting a test for the emergency broadcast system. Now, I happen to also grow up at a time where in the little school in Nebraska that I went to, we used to have tests of what we would do in the event that Russia tried to drop a bomb on us. Some of you will remember those things. And so we as all of our kids would climb under our desks because now we know how great of a comfort that would be in the event of nuclear fallout. We had tough, tough desks. The reason I bring this up is because I want you to notice that in the very early part of this chapter... In fact, in the very first verse, the Scripture says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. It's important for you to note that God tests people. There will be times in your life when the Lord will lead you in obedience to some things that He's going to bring about a test to see exactly where you are in Him and how much you trust Him. We sang some songs today that indicated that if we believe what we sing, that we trust Him without borders. So it's important to notice that God tested Abraham. It didn't say that God tempted Abraham. It says that He tested Abraham. This was a test. And I don't believe from the very beginning that God ever intended Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, I do want you to understand that the culture of the time, there were pagan religions that surrounded the Israelites during this time that practiced human sacrifice. And so in that culture, it was maybe a little bit more thinkable, as hard it is for us to imagine, but in that culture, it might have been more thinkable of people actually sacrificing their children. But God never intended Abraham to sacrifice his son. I don't believe God would have allowed it. But I do believe that it was intended as a test. And for the record... This story is not about God's character. This isn't about how mean God is. This isn't about how 
brutal God can be. This is about the character of Abraham. This is about the obedience of Abraham. And so if you look at this and you begin to draw conclusions about the massive anger issue that God has, you've completely missed the story. Because this is about the character of Abraham. And so I have found that there are moments when God will test us and will determine whether or not our lives are truly submitted to His Lordship. And if we fail in those tests, He will continue to bring us back around to that place until we finally pass a test. Which is why I said at the beginning, some of you may have been saved for a long time, but if you've never passed the first test, you've lived the first year again and again and again. I said at the very beginning of this year, I trust that as you look back at your life from last year, that you are farther along in your growth with the Lord than you were a year ago. If so, then God has allowed you to go through tests that you have passed, and He's moved you on now to greater things in Him. And there should be some definable, discernible, recognizable traits within our life that indicate to us that we are passing the tests that the Lord allows us to go through. I think that God wanted us to understand through the life of Abraham and Isaac that even the greatest gifts that He gives to us can be used in a wrong way if we are not careful. As you look at the life of Abraham, you have to understand at this point in time, he's an old man. Isaac is an enormous gift. It's a 25-year promise in the making that finally took place. He and Sarah, beyond what they thought the years were that they could conceive, finally have a son. I would imagine that Isaac had their full attention. My wife and I got to enjoy this, this week on Monday night as our son and our daughter announced what the, the gender will be of their baby. And we were watching on uh, uh, FaceTime or FaceChat or whatever that is. We're watching from here. Kara and her husband are watching from Washington. Malia's parents are watching, watching from Arizona. We're all together watching this, and they popped the balloon, and pink came out of it to let us know that we're going to be having a granddaughter. I want you to know I love that little girl already. She will have my attention, along with our other two grandkids. There's something about babies that cause us to pay attention. Isaac was even more special because of the promise that he was. So it's understandable for us to recognize that as these parents looked at Isaac, Isaac was not just the apple of their eye. He was the whole fruit basket of their eye. I'm certain that Isaac, as he was growing up, Number one, when you have parents that are 100 years old, they're probably a little more patient than they would have been if they had been in their 20s. He probably got about anything he wanted. And sometimes the blessings that God gives to us can become more important than God who gave them to us is in the first place. Some of you have experienced the joy of having God bless you financially, resources that He's provided for you. And sometimes I believe that the gifts that God gives to us, if we aren't careful, that blessing can displace God and become more important than God Himself is. God sometimes blesses you with a job, and He's the one that has given you the skills and the abilities, and He's the one who's opened the door that the job may be a gift from God. But if you aren't careful, that gift can become an idol. It can become more important to you than God is who gave it to you. Some of you have been praying because you've been lonely in different stages of your life. And the Lord may very well bless you with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And they could be good looking. You are hopeful they are. 
and you're excited about that relationship. But I want you to know through the years I have seen people that have asked God for different relationships only to see that relationship become an idol and become more important than the God who provided it in the first place. It's important for us to understand why we exist. We exist to give glory to God. Nobody can praise God for you. Only you can. And that's the reason that you exist. But if you aren't careful, your relationship with God can become very selfish in nature. It can become utilitarian, meaning that we believe that God becomes a tool that we use to get what we want. Lord, I'll serve you as long as you're doing good for me. Lord, I'll serve you as long as the things that you're providing for me make me happy. The moment they don't, I don't need you as a tool anymore. I liken things like that to God being a genie in the box. You rub it, you get your wishes. As long as that's going good, then God, I'm happy about that. But the moment that you begin to lead me in areas that might require a test of me, I don't know if I want to go. And so in moments like this, we have to determine whether or not we will be all in and trust God or whether we will fail the test and have to take it again. Because some of the things He gives us can become an idol to us. And there will be moments when God will test us to determine what level of commitment we have for Him. Let me share that again. There will be moments God will test you to see at what level of commitment you are. The second point of this message is it's a test of who is following whom. Some of you have heard my testimony before about how God called me into the ministry. For those of you that may not, I want you to know that there came an all-in moment for me. I finished two years of college and I was representing Evanza University and I was traveling to some campgrounds on the West Coast and I spent two weeks in the state of Washington at a camp there and following those two weeks there I'd gone to Oregon to represent Evangel there trying to get other students there to be interested in our college and generally when I went to these camps I got jobs like being part of the recreation team you know really fun things that I I got to really dive into and had a great time with the kids and as I got to the camp at Oregon one of the the cabin directors or counselors as they called them wasn't able to come and so they stuck me in as a as a cabin counselor so here I was with a group of boys from Oregon that I didn't know and they didn't know me And as they came into the cabin and began to unload, there was one particular boy, his name was Mike, that I recognized immediately. Mike had a different mindset than anybody else in camp. He was angry. He was mad. He didn't want to make friends. He didn't want to know my name. He could care less about my school. And if I just left him alone and didn't talk to him, that might make him the happiest. We did everything that we could to try to get Mike involved in our our group. He didn't want to know anybody. And as we kind of got along in the week, we discovered that one of the reasons that Mike was so angry is because his parents had forced him to go to camp so that they could finalize a divorce while he was gone. His whole home life was falling apart. And I had, after two years of going to business school, you know, I had in my mind that I wanted to own something like a Bass Pro Shop is today. Fit right up my alley of all of my interests. And I had studied and prepared and and really was interested in doing this. I'd even started taking classes for my pilot's license because I was going to need to fly to all of my businesses. Hey, I was in college. Everybody dreams there. As I was sitting there in the middle of this week, ministering to Mike, 
Every night that the evangelist was preaching, there was a call given, and you could see the Holy Spirit beginning to minister to Mike's life. And yet he resisted. And on the very last night of camp, I leaned over next to him, sitting in the back seat as the evangelist finished the message, and I said, Mike, is tonight your night? And as other people are getting up from their seats and coming down to the altar and surrendering their life to the Lord, Mike couldn't even get out of his seat. He just sat there shaking. And with tears running down his face, we just fell at the altar or fell at the seat right there and made an altar there. And Mike gloriously asked God to come into his life and to take away the anger and take away the fear. And it was magnificent what God did in Mike's life in that moment in the back of that chapel in the middle of the night. And the interesting thing was as God is doing two things at once, Because as he's transforming Mike's attitude and transforming his nature, he began to speak into my heart as well, saying, Can you tell me something, Doug? How many fishing rods and balls and bats and guns and things of that would you need to sell to have the joy of this? And I was thinking, I don't know. I'll figure that out in my statistics. Depends on what the margin is on the sale and where we're going to be and, you know. No, I didn't have that time. I just remember this overwhelming sense of, oh no. Oh no. For those of you that ever may have changed your major in college, oh no. I'm thinking, Lord, what's, what's going on here? Because suddenly I begin to feel drain out of my life. All those goals that I had had since I was a freshman in high school, everything that I've been trying to plan. It was like the Lord pulled the plug and it was just a a flood of everything that I had wanted that disappeared and that God was pouring something new in me and I began to recognize, Lord, are are you changing my call? And as he's weeping before the Lord and my arm is around him, he's thinking about the new life he's having and I'm thinking about, oh no. And I remember getting up from there, and there was an old propane tank out behind the, the, the tabernacle there. And I remember leaning against that tank, and I had my hands on my head. I'm just going, what, what's going on, Lord? And I felt so clearly in my heart the Lord say, are you willing to give me your future? Because you've planned it. You've made all these plans for me to bless you and to do all these things. But today I'm asking you, are you willing to give me your future and let me guide you? And I would love to tell you how easy that was. But it wasn't. And I remember going back and my mom and dad were preparing to go to Africa for their first term as missionaries. And I I knew that I needed some spiritual counsel. And so I called and my mom answered the phone. And and she says, how are you doing? And I said, I just need you to listen to me. And I began to pour out the things that was happening and what had just happened in Mike's life and what I was feeling. And my mom began on the other end of the phone to say, finally. I said, what? He said, son, I, your father and I have recognized for a long time that this is what the Lord wanted you to do, but we couldn't tell you that. Only God can call. She says, as a matter of fact, the last thing that I needed before I could submit myself completely to go to Africa is I told the Lord, Lord, I need you to tell Doug what he needs to do with his life. I've got to know that before I can go. And I remember just weeping at the thought of this was my all-in moment. I either said yes and changed everything 
or I said no and went on my own way, and who knows what would have happened. I also recognized that I had started to date a beautiful girl at school by the name of Cindy. And I knew that if I went back and told her that I've changed my major, it might put some tension between our relationship. Not that she didn't love the Lord, but she had grown up in a pastor's home and was kind of interested in doing something else with her life. And I remember going back and sharing with her. I believe that God has called me into the ministry. And I recognized that the tension that was going to be there was one that she was going to have to make a decision and then I was going to have to make a decision. Thankfully, I want you to know something. As I look back at my life over these last 33 years of ministry, I want you to know something. God's plans are always better than yours. They're always better than yours. I have discovered that when you go all in, you think you're giving something up. You're not. You're getting something better than what you think you're giving up. And the tension and the decision always comes as when He calls. And I'm not saying He's going to call all of you into the ministry. I am saying He's going to call all of you to be obedient. And that tension hits every one of you and you begin to think, what He's asking me to do is either so different from my own goals or so different from my own plans, is it going to be as good as what I can plan for myself? It's going to be better than what you can plan for yourself. But the tension is in the test. And the joy comes in the obedience. And God began to lay a foundation in my heart at that point. They begin to point me in a different path. And I praise God because today I can tell you I love what I do. I wouldn't want to be any place else doing anything else than being in the will of God. And it traces back in my life to an all-in moment. And with the counsel of great people, I can say I was obedient to the Lord. And I recently received a text from somebody that said that Syracuse is one of the most spiritually illiterate cities in the nation. Biblically illiterate. I think it ranks number 15 out of 100. The worst biblical knowledge. And when I saw that, I thought, I'm in the right place. Springfield, Missouri was... I think at 98. There's a church on every corner. God plants us in places where you can use us. Because His will is good. So I've got to ask you the question. Are you following Jesus? Or in your all-in moment did you say, let's just take a little time and think about this? Did you determine at that point that I'm all in, or did you say, I need to know a little bit more about the plan? Can you just show me what's going to happen to me if I say yes? Begin to tell me whether or not I'm going to be better off. God says, no, you trust my purposes, or you don't. You're either all in or you're not. I don't always show you the path. I've discovered that walking with God is like driving at night. You never see beyond the edge of the headlights until you put the car in drive and start moving. And then as you begin to move, the Lord begins to reveal the next stage. And some of you have been struggling with this. Am I willing to go all in? Am I willing to commit completely to what God has for me? Because you are afraid that what God wants to lead you in is going to make you unhappy. 
you believe deep down inside, and the reason we believe this is because this started back in Genesis when Satan started lying to Eve about the way things were going. His voice is a lying voice that begins to tell you, if you obey God, you're going to be miserable about it. That it's not going to be fun and it won't be enjoyable. And I want you to know something. The Bible says there is no truth in him that lies to you. In fact, I had a conversation recently that I believe that what God calls us to do brings us joy when we obey. I subscribe to what Frederick Beatner said when he said, and you have to understand that his words were taken in the context of he's talking about people that love the Lord and are doing their best to follow him. But within the guide rails of that, he said, I believe that the voice that we should listen to when we are choosing what we believe God's will to be should be the one that brings us gladness. What can I do that will make me glad? I believe God's will in your life brings gladness to you. And when you're living for the Lord, He's not going to lead you to something that's going to cause you anger. He's going to lead you into something that's going to cause you gladness. Now, there will be tests along the way. But what makes you happy? Because when you're submitted to the Lord, your will becomes His, and He will lead you. Either that or He'll change what makes you happy. And so here we find ourselves about who is following whom. Is your relationship with the Lord characterized as one of, Lord, I will follow you as long as you do what I say. As a high school wrestler, I remember going to the mat saying, the Lord, help me win today. I never thought about it. The other person was praying the same thing. Lord, when I'm receiving the glory and they're lifting my arms, let me smile with your love. Lord, when I'm running track today, help me to run faster than everybody else. We'll give you glory. When I'm pole vaulting, help the pole not to break. Help me make it over. And there are ways that, these are the ways that we pray. Lord, bless me today. Bless, bless the things that I'm doing. Lord, here's what my plans are today, and I want you to go with me, follow me, and bless everything I do. And in fact, the Scripture indicates it's the other way. That our prayer should be, Lord, I'm here to follow you. What will you be blessing that I need to be involved in as I submit to you? Thirdly, what you face is a test of God's supremacy and your sacrifice. Let me go back to Abraham. He gets up early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. And they head off. And for what it's worth, according to Jewish tradition, the reason that he got up early is he wanted to get up before Sarah woke up. Because if he didn't, then he was going to have to answer to her again. As to why are you taking my son? And as I was doing a little research in this, I discovered that we see the term used boy in the New International Version or lad in the King James Version, and that is a very flexible term as it relates to Scripture. In fact, that very same word is used in several other places that indicate that it is not so much an age as it is a stage. And so according to most of the theologians I read, Isaac at this time was somewhere between the ages of 25 and 33. And so we have this image of this little boy that's just kind of following Dad and holding on to his hand, has no idea what's going on, and that is not the case here. Isaac is probably almost a full-grown man. And just because the term lad is used does not mean that it was talking about a young boy. In fact, 
in the Scripture as you're looking at it, there is a passage that talks about in, in verse 6 that Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on Isaac. Now, if Isaac was a little three- or four-year-old boy, he's not going to carry much wood. But the wood that was needed for the entire offering, Isaac carried. He's a man here. Does that begin to change the image of your mind of what this might have looked like? I mean, now we're talking about it's not a boy whose voice hasn't changed. It's Isaac walking along with Dad, and they're talking man-to-man. And so when we get to this all-in moment according to passage of Scripture here, this isn't just an all-in moment for Abraham. This is an all-in moment for Sarah, and it's an all-in moment for Isaac. This has been discussed according to the tradition of the home. They knew what was going to happen. And as they're going along there, we begin to see that what we learn from this is that this was a family that decided together we are going to be all in together. I think there's wonderful unity in that. When you have Abraham and Sarah and Isaac all together knowing that God is causing them to have a test. And Abraham, I believe, knew from the very beginning that God was not going to require the life of his son, but wanted to require to him to see how far he would go. Or maybe he thought, yes, I'm going to plunge the knife, but God's not going to take his life. Because we get a little farther in the Scripture, and he tells his servants when they get near the mountain, you stay here and we will be back, the Scripture says. And so he knows that he's going on for this, and he knows in his heart that he will be back. And we get to Genesis chapter 22, verse 12. And just as he has gotten there, and it very well, but there were some traditions that indicated that it was Isaac that said, bind my feet and bind my hand. Because I don't want there to be a flinch in me of disobedience when you thrust the knife. Because honestly, if Isaac is a 25-year-old man, Abraham's 100, who do you think is winning the wrestling matches at home? Abraham had long since being, uh, ended being the wrestling champion in his own house. And so it was with Isaac's full understanding as Isaac, you know, he might have just, he could have just said, Isaac, just lay up there. But the whole binding thing very well could have been Isaac saying, I need you to bind me because I don't want there to be a a hint of disobedience. And so this was an all-in moment for Isaac and an all-in moment for Abraham and Sarah back there in the tent having an all-in moment of saying, God, I hope you know what you're doing here. Because it was not easy for me at my age to give birth to that boy. And now he's everything we've got and you have promised that there would be nations that would come from this and I don't see how killing him and nations are going to work but Lord I'm going to have to trust you with all and in verse 12 Genesis 22 it says just as he is getting ready to raise the knife God steps in and says do not lay a hand on the lad or on the boy do not do anything to him now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son your only son. And Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place the Lord will provide or Jehovah Jireh. There's a lot that's wrapped up within this. But let me tell you something. I love it that when you pass the test that God gives to you, you instantly discover that the Lord is your provider. He's seen things before you get there. 
And He knows how to bring things at just the right place at just the right time. It literally means that God who foresees brings provision before you think you need it. And that ram was already there. There are things happening in your life that you don't understand because God is at work in the spiritual realm behind the curtain, but He is working to bring provision for your obedience. And it's there ahead of you, and He's just waiting for you to pass the test. And I believe, as we were talking about in our class this morning, about what it will be like when we get to heaven, I believe that there will be that moment when we stand before God at judgment and there will be tears as we begin to recognize how many times we faced and failed an all-in moment and what the glory of that would have been had we been obedient and had to retake the test. Because we think in our heart that what God wants for us is not better than what we can do ourselves. Long before God laid the earth's foundation, He had you in mind. Long before you were ever here, He knew who you would be and what you would do. And He decided to adopt us in His family and He thought of everything and He provided for everything before the earth was ever in existence. He knew exactly where He wanted to put everything that you did. you passed the test. And that's hard for us to comprehend that we have a God that's made provision for you after you have obeyed that's been there from before the test began. Some of you will remember... Somebody by the name of C.J. Tan. It was the guy who led the IBM team that created Deep Blue. It was a computer that outmaneuvered the great grandmaster chess player, Gary Kasparov. It defeated him. At that point in time, Deep Blue incorporated 32 processing engines that could contemplate 200 million chess moves every second. I have a hard time with 50-50 questions. I can be uncertain with true faults. I can't even begin to comprehend 32 processing engines that can contemplate 200 contingencies every second. Yet that is laughable to an omniscient God who before the creation of the universe understood every contingency that would ever exist, every need that we would ever have. And He didn't just anticipate it. He foresaw it and He provided through His own ingenuity everything that we would ever need if we would only be willing to put our idols on the altar and say yes in an all-in moment. And so we miss the language in this story. Abraham knows that God is going to provide. He said, we're going to come back. Somehow he knew, God, you've got provision. I don't know how it's going to look or what it's going to happen. But Lord, I'm willing, if I need to, to thrust the knife because I know that you will provide. And you cannot read the Bible and come to any other conclusion except that there is within God a sense of the dramatic. Why did God wait until the Egyptian army was right here and the children of Israel at the Red Sea Because he knew they'd make a movie about it if it was dramatic. If he did things too early, it's just a story. But God is the God of the dramatic because sometimes your test comes right down to the last second. And then he says, here I am. Why did God wait until Abraham started a downward motion before he yells from heaven? And he yelled in such a way that scared Abraham into stopping. Because he wants to see how far you'll go in the test. You see, if you trust God to provide, 
then the whole test becomes a trust issue. And that's what it narrows down. Who are you going to trust? Yourself or are you going to trust God? I want to tell you what I've discovered. It's not always that God wants to take things away from us. I believe that it's He constantly wants to remind us that He is trustworthy. He's trustworthy. The angel of the Lord called Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself. I love that line. Because today people are swearing, so help me God. God says, I swear by my own name. That's so cool. There's no higher authority, so I swear by myself. Declares the Lord. That because you have done this and have not withheld your son, you have passed the test. I now see how much you love me. I see that you trust me even when it doesn't make sense. That I will now bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Greater than the sands of the earth. The offspring will become into nations and I will bless you because you've obeyed me. What is God have just on the other side of your test of the blessing that we speak? If you'll just simply say, I'm all in and I trust you. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And here's how I'd like to close this this morning. When we read this story, There's a great irony within this passage of Scripture as well. How could God even think up this kind of a sacrifice where Abraham would take Isaac? And as you read this, you'll notice that there's one thing in here that is repeated twice within this 22nd chapter. And it says twice that you have not withheld your son, your only son. And then we begin to find out that in every other religion, in every other religion but the followers of Jesus Christ, it's about what you must do to bring pleasure to God. The work that you must do. Only in Christianity is about a God that would not withhold His own Son. You see, in the moment when Jesus was being hung on the cross, there's an old hymn that we used to sing about He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set free. Jesus is the first deity in history that died for His followers. Jesus had an all-in moment. But you know what? It wasn't really when He was dying on the cross. It was really in the garden when He said, Lord, is there any other way that you can let this cup pass from me? And then he said, in follow-up to that, he says, but you know what, it's not my will. But it's your will that be done. In other words, Lord, I'm, I'm all in. And today we sit here and we celebrate. And we as American Christians have things really easy compared to the rest of the world. We've had very few all-in moments, certainly nationally. What the future holds, I do not know. But I do know that each and every one of you will be brought to test And that the greatest provision of God and the greatest joy comes in you passing the test and saying, I'm all in. And I'm not going to worry about the trust. I'm going to trust you, Lord. Even when it doesn't make any sense. Because in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life.
So the very scenario that we cannot even imagine with Abraham and Isaac, God plays out with his son. And it's even harder to understand because now we're talking about the God of the universe that was sacrificed for us. And I'm going to ask that you would stand with me, please. We prayed before we began the service today. Because God knew exactly who was going to be here today. He had it planned. And I do believe that there are some of you that have come in here today that where you are today is not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. You have an interest. You're trying to discover what the plans of God are. Maybe you're trying to discover, does God really love me? And today for the first time, you begin to hear and understand that there is a Savior that died for you. He did so to take away your sins or your wrongs, everything that you feel guilt about and everything that you feel shame about. He died so that He could remove that from you so that He took upon Himself your sins so that He could give you His righteousness. That's the best trade in the whole universe. He gives you an eternity in heaven in perfect harmony with Himself in exchange for your sin if you will merely receive Him into your life. 